waiting for Charlie here. Frank, sorry, I just called you Charlie. Hey, you guys are like twins. Thing one and thing two. Hey, um, so we are in a series called The Cumulative Effect, and in just a moment we're going to dive into that, but I just, I just want to speak to something that we talked about several weeks ago, and that is this election, because we would be remiss if we didn't say something. And the reality is, half of our country, at least, is disappointed about the decision, and, and 45, 50% of our country is, is encouraged. And I just want us to remember a couple of things. First off, we are around people that we disagree with all the time about a lot of different things. And this season, that has been in the forefront. But some things we need to keep in mind that I simply want us to remember. Number one, if we said yes to Jesus Christ, if we call him not only our Savior but our Lord, then although we reside in America... We are citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, living right here. That is our primary allegiance. And although our country has elected a temporary leader for our temporary home, we recognize that we serve a king who sits on the throne, has always sat on the throne, will always sit on the throne. That never changes. And the beautiful part of this is that we get to be his representatives regardless of how we voted. Regardless of how people respond, regardless of how our neighbors feel about it, we are his representatives, and may we not lose sight of that fact. And when people want to curse, may we not respond in kind. May we represent his heart who turned the other cheek, who sacrificed himself. May we return curses with love and with blessing. May we pray for those who persecute us. And not only that, may we pray for those who are in positions of authority. And that means praying for Obama and everybody who is currently in a position of authority. And that means praying for Trump and everybody that will come into a position of authority. Praying for those leaders being representatives of our Father God who calls us to be his ambassadors of hope. And there are a lot of people who don't feel a lot of hope right now. And here's the beautiful part of of this. When we feel most hopeless, that is when we are most open to finding hope, right? Right? When we feel secure and confident, that's when we go, I don't need anything else. I'm good to go. I'm in control. When we feel out of control, that's when we go, Holy God, I need you. And I just heard that yesterday at the Koheleth, um, every month on the second Saturday, Orlando Sanchez and Koheleth gives food out to a lot of the people in our community. And yesterday alone, 30 people gave their hearts to Jesus for the very first time. 30 people. May we pray that God's kingdom continues to advance. May we not lose sight of the fact that we are his representatives. And the beautiful part is, although we voted on on Tuesday, we get to vote for the kind of community we want to live in every single day of our lives by the way we choose to interact with our neighbors, the way we choose to treat our family, the way that we volunteer even. So I I just wanted to remind ourselves of these things so that we don't either lose hope and that we don't gloat. None of those things are honoring. All right? With that, we are in a series uh, called The Cumulative Effect. And cumulative, can we throw the definition up there one more time? 
The cumulative simply means a gradual building up. Something that is created by gradual additions. And, and the premise of this is, although we look at um, kind of the peaks and valleys of our lives and say we're defined by those things, in reality, we are just as much defined by the little seemingly insignificant moments of our life. So choices that you made two, three years ago that you didn't even give a second thought to have influenced and have shaped your life so that who you are now and where you are now is shaped in part by those decisions. And the decisions that you make today, the seemingly insignificant ones, make a massive difference for who you will become. Last week we looked at what we're calling the law of sowing and reaping, and it comes out of Galatians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. Galatians chapter 6 has been kind of the overriding passage in this brief series that we're in. It begins, we're going to start reading in verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. In other words, don't fool yourself. God cannot be mocked. You can't pull one over on him. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to please your flesh, then from your flesh you will reap destruction. But if a man sows to please the Spirit, then from the Spirit he will reap eternal life. And there were a few things that we we pulled from this passage last week that we looked at. First, the law of sowing and reaping can work for us or it can work against us. The things that we do can either help move us in a direction that we want to go or it can work against us, right? If you choose, here was an interesting thing I looked at this week. Um, If you choose to have a can of Coke every day as opposed to having a glass of water, not a big deal, right? Just, Just a few calories, not a big deal. But over the course of a year, if you make that same choice every day, not only does it leach calcium from your bones, give you a higher chance of having cavities, but it gives you a 20% higher chance of having cancer for some reason, and it can add up to 15 pounds that one decision, not to mention the added cost, okay? So that's just one example of how a small choice built over and over and over day after day can have a massive effect. Or another one, You set your alarm 15 minutes earlier every day because I want to spend some time with God. That's easy to do, guys. Not a big deal. But it's also easy to hit the snooze button, right? Or to not set your alarm at all and let your kids be your alarm or whatever. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The law of sowing and reaping can work for us, against us. The seed we plant determines the fruit we get. What you put in is what you're going to get out. And finally, seeds are the little things that are easy to do and also easy not to do. So just a couple of of little examples here. If we plant passivity, we're going to reap a harvest of disappointment. Man, I wish I'd done that. Man, I wish I'd said, I wish I'd just, whatever. If you plant seeds of busyness and distraction, you are going to reap a harvest of disconnection. Your kids are going to grow up to be just like you, busy and distracted. And if you plant seeds of 
criticism in your marriage, then you are going to have a marriage that feels distant and strained. You're going to see discouragement permeate through that marriage. It can work against us. But the law of sowing and reaping can also work for us. If you treat people with respect, then you will reap a harvest of respect from other people. They will respect you in turn, generally speaking. If you sow seeds of being present, not just physically present, but emotionally present, you will find that the people you're around want to be present with you. They'll actually look you in the eyes if you train them to look you in the eyes. if you sow seeds of generosity, then you will find that you are content with whatever you have because you're not going to be possessed by your possessions. Those are just a couple of examples of how the law of sowing and reaping can either work against us or can work for us. I love love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Can we throw that up on the board? Yes, no, maybe so. There we go. All right, this is from Mere Christianity. Keep in mind, he was writing this during World War II. These were some, um, yeah, this this was written during World War II, so you're going to feel a lot of the overtones of the war in it. He says, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions that you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you might be able to go, might be able to go, there we go, onto victories you never dreamed of. However, an apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. What you reap is what you will sow. That that was the whole point that we looked at last week. This week we're going to go one step further. We're going to look at one more verse in Galatians chapter 6 because Paul goes directly from saying, hey, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to please the flesh, then from the flesh you will reap destruction. If you sow to please the Spirit, then from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. And then listen to what he says next. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I suspect that there are some of us in here this morning who are probably feeling pretty weary because perhaps for a while you have been trying to do some good. You've been trying to make some changes. You're like, I'm going to finally get in shape. I'm going to lose that weight. And you go to the gym two, maybe even three times in one week. Your body aches. And you look in the mirror and you go, I don't see a whole lot of difference the point, right? I'm just getting weary. Or you're like, I I just want to try to dig out from under this unbearable burden of debt. And yet it just seems like the bills keep mounting. And every time you kind of get a little bit ahead, something hits you and knocks you back down. And you're just growing weary. And the reminder that Paul brings us is don't give up. Keep persevering because if you can do that, you will ultimately reap a harvest. There's a lot of people in Scripture that grew weary. 
quite a number of them, who felt like God called them to do something, felt compelled to do something, and yet as they proceeded, they ultimately just went, oh man, this, how long do I have to keep going down this path? One of the people, and, and the one we're going to look at today, is a guy named Nehemiah. It's from the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. It's in the Old Testament, so you're going to go back. If you hit First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles, keep going right. And if you find yourself in Psalms or Proverbs, go left. He's right kind of sandwiched in the middle between those things. All right? I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Nehemiah as you're turning there. Nehemiah was a Jew who was enslaved in Persia. Let me give you a reason why. Back when God was calling the Jews to be his people and bringing them into the promised land, as he promised them, he said, listen, I'm going to bring you here. He took them out of slavery in Egypt. He led them through uh, the Red Sea. He provided manna in the morning. He provided the, the quail in the afternoon, leads them up to the edge of the promised land. He says, I'm going to send you in here, but I want to warn you. When you get in here and when you settle down in homes you didn't build, when you start eating the fruit of vineyards you didn't plant, do not grow complacent. Don't forget about me. Don't start turning to the other gods to try to start hedging your bets just in case you don't think I'm strong enough. Don't forget me. It's kind of like a a parent who says to a kid as he's about to give them their first cell phone, like, okay, listen, this is a blessing, but please don't make it a curse. Because if this phone distracts you from relationship where you find yourself staring into a screen rather than looking somebody in the eyes, if you find that this becomes a channel for you to sin or it gets in the way of your schooling, then I'm going to take this from you. Not because I'm a mean parent, but because I love you. And I don't want to give you a blessing that ultimately becomes a curse. Make sense? God said the same thing to the Israelites. I'm bringing you here. I promise to bring you here. But if this becomes an impediment to your worship of me, we're done. I will remove this from you. And that's exactly what happened. As soon as they got into the land, as soon as they got comfortable, a couple of generations went by, and all of a sudden they started going, well, you know, the other gods, they could help. We don't know, like, if if Yahweh's going to show up. So let's just kind of... They got comfortable. They started relying on what they had as opposed to who had given it to them. And so sure enough, God said, okay, I warned you. And he allowed some foreign nations to come in and and remove them from the land. And 140 years had passed between the time that Jerusalem had fallen, the temple had been destroyed, the walls reduced to rubble, and Nehemiah found himself enslaved in Persia, living in the palace of King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. And as slave jobs go, Nehemiah had a pretty good one. He was the cupbearer. He was the guy who brought the king's goblet. When it got filled up, he'd take the first drink to make sure there was was no poison. And so long as he didn't get poisoned, he got to drink the good stuff. He got to kind of live in comfort. But some Jews uh, had visited Jerusalem had seen the rubble that the epicenter of Jewish identity, the place where the temple of God resided, they, they saw it and they came back and they told Nehemiah, hey, Nehemiah, Jerusalem is in ruins. And Nehemiah began to weep. 
Now, keep in mind that Nehemiah was reaping a harvest that he had never planted. The seeds that led to Jerusalem's destruction, the seeds that had led to his captivity in Persia, were seeds that he had never planted. They'd been planted by people who had died long ago, and yet he was reaping the fruit of that. And I would imagine there's probably some of you in here, as you look at some of the brokenness in your own life, look at some of the dysfunction that you're currently facing in your family, you go, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with him. I didn't plant these seeds, but I'm certainly suffering because of them. And it would be real easy. It is really easy, guys, for us when we face a harvest that we didn't plant to point the finger and blame mom or dad or grandma, grandpa, whomever it might have come from and say, why? Why did you let this happen? Why have you done this to me? But I want us to kind of consider how Nehemiah responds. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, we read, this is Nehemiah speaking. When I heard these things, when I heard about the destruction of Jerusalem, I sat down and I wept. Is there a place for us to grieve? Absolutely. As a culture, we're pretty bad at grieving, actually. We try to shut it down and be strong. Sometimes we need to allow ourselves to truly grieve and to feel the depth of the pain. Because only that allows us to move past it. And and Nehemiah does move beyond the pain and the sorrow of the reality that he finds himself in to, okay, now what can I do? I know I didn't plant these seeds, but how should I respond? He begins to take responsibility for the harvest. For some days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. God, what should I do? How should I respond? I don't want my children to inherit the same harvest of of pain, harvest of destruction, harvest of captivity that I have inherited. God, what would you have me do? And God lays a pretty audacious thought on Nehemiah's heart. You know, I have placed you in the palace. I have put you into a position where you interact with the most powerful ruler in the world today. So go and tell Artaxerxes. Ask him for help. Now keep in mind, the king of Persia was not a, Christ, not a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was not Jewish. The Jews were slaves. And God is instructing Nehemiah, go ask him to help you rebuild the epicenter of Jewish identity. And Nehemiah says, okay. So he does that. He he ends up going to Artaxerxes and he asks him for help. And and surprisingly, Artaxerxes says, yes, okay, fine. Not only am I going to allow you and some of the other Jews to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding, but I will give you the resources that you need and I will give you a, a military escort to make sure that you get there safely. How do you feel? What do you think Nehemiah must have been feeling as he's gathering these people up and they start this journey from Persia to Jerusalem? What do you think he was feeling? Yeah, awesome. I mean, this is amazing. My God is is good. My God is faithful. He told me to do something. I started doing it and he made it happen. Woo, right? Would you be excited? Would you be on cloud nine if you felt God lay something on your heart and then the moment you started moving towards it, it just like all the doors open? Absolutely. 
I imagine that Nehemiah must have just been floating like, my God is for me. Who can be against me? Come on, let's do this. Let's build some walls. He gets to Jerusalem and he sees the walls. And even that, even the, the, the level of destruction cannot dampen the excitement he feels. And he says, we're going to do this. We're going to make it happen. Let's go, guys. And they start building. And that is when he hits his first real opposition. You know, one of the things that causes us to become weary of doing good is when we think we're right in line with what God wants. We're being obedient to him and we hit unexpected opposition or unexpected pushback, right? I think one of the mindsets we carry into this is if I'm doing your will, God, you're just going to make it happen. You're going to grease the skids, open every single door. It's going to be easy. And yet, we can all speak from experience. Is that how it plays out, typically? Not so much. A lot of times, in fact, we hit quite a bit of opposition. The question is, how do we respond to it? The opposition that Nehemiah runs into is in the form of two guys, two leaders that live in the area. One guy is named Sanballat. He was a, a leader of the Samaritan people. This is one of the seeds that causes some division between the Samaritans is how Sanballat responds to Nehemiah. The other guy is named Tobiah. He's an Ammonite. These are both leaders of the people that live in that region, and they see the rebuilding of the wall as a danger to their positional influence in that region. And so they want to shut the building of the walls down before it ever gets going. And they figure the best and easiest way to do that is if we can discourage the workers if we can get them to give up before they've actually succeeded, then we don't have to worry about this. And so we read in chapter 4, verse 1, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. In the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Seriously, they're going to try to turn those stones into a wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah's like, yeah, yeah, totally. Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break it down. This wall of stone would crumble if even a little fox walked over it. You ever had that experience where, where you feel like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to finally do the good I know that I need to do. I've been putting it off for a long time, but this time I'm going to do it. And you tell somebody, somebody you think is going to be supportive, and rather than being supportive, they actually kind of like mock you, you know, kind of throw some water on that fire that's just got started getting kindled. Maybe it's in your family and you go to your wife or, or your spouse and you say, you know what, I'm finally going to stop drinking as much as I've been drinking. I'm just, I'm just going gonna, gonna to be done. And you get the eye roll. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, see how long this one lasts. Right? <laughs> Yay. Or I'm going to stop flying off the handle when I get angry. Sure. Uh-huh. I've heard that before. Or, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose some weight. I really am going to try to start getting in, into shape. And it's like, oh, that's great, honey. You want some ice cream? 
Or how about this one? You, you, you kind of take one step in the direction of where you want to go, right? You plant one seed and you're like, I'm on my way, I'm going to do this. And that person kind of comes along and reminds you of all of the other steps that you're going to need to take to get to where you want to be. Kind of like you've just run your first mile in the marathon and somebody comes up and goes, hey, you still have like 25 and a half to go. You're doing great. Thanks, man. And at that point, you just start feeling like, what's the point of continuing? I think that maybe Nehemiah felt that way as he and these workers had been laboring for weeks. They had started to take the rubble and build a semblance of a wall. It was only up to chest height at this point. Wouldn't keep an attacker out at all. And now Sanballat and Tobiah are going, you guys are kidding yourself. You're wasting your time. And I would imagine that Nehemiah probably entertains some of those thoughts. Maybe we are wasting our time. Maybe we are just, you know, building something that's just going to fall apart the moment we turn our back on it. What is the point of doing I mean, these stones have sat for 140 years. Who are we to think that we can somehow put them back together? Some of us probably look at the harvest that we are currently reaping in our life. And either we, we identify where the seeds have come from. Maybe somebody else planted them. Maybe we planted them. And as we look at the state of our lives, it can feel like maybe it's a little bit too little too late. There's really no way that I can change this, right? I, I, I have sown too many seeds of crit- criticism and absenteeism in my family for me to ever kind of rekindle my marriage. I've, <laughs> my kids are already grown. They're already past the season where I get to invest in them. It's probably too late. Or... You know, I would love to have been able to make a difference, but I mean, I, I'm retired. I don't have much more time. What difference can I make? Or, or my, my finances, my, my debt is just too big. How could I ever possibly dig myself out from under this? Or my addiction is too strong. And I have been going along this path far too long. I have planted seeds of saying yes to my flesh far too often for me to somehow think that I can start saying no and it will make any difference. And so what do we do? Sometimes we grow weary of doing good because we just don't think that our doing good will make any difference at all. And so we just say, maybe I should just give up now. Why waste any more time? Why try to bang my head against that wall when it's not going to make a difference? And I think that Paul would say to each of us who are feeling that way, do not grow weary of doing good. Because at just the right time, God will bring about a harvest if you just don't give up. You know, it makes me think of um, Chinese bamboo, of all things. (laughs) I'm sure you guys were probably thinking about the same thing today. Chinese bamboo is this really interesting uh, thing because it starts as a small seed and you plant it in the ground. Take that away for just a second, Mike. Plant it in the ground. 
And the first year, nothing. Not a single thing. doesn't matter how much you water it. doesn't matter how much you fertilize it. You get nothing from it. And you might be thinking to yourself after that first year, did I plant these seeds upside down? Like, what am I doing wrong here? I should have called Diane Winicky because she can make anything grow. You go, all right, hold on, I'm not going to give up. So you go year number two, and you, you water a little more, and you keep going at it. You don't give up. Year number two comes and goes, nothing, not a shoot, not a green piece anywhere. And you're like, what am I doing wrong? Maybe it's the soil I was using. So you then go out and buy some soil, and you, you kind of mix it around, and you make sure it's getting some sunlight, and you keep watering it. Year number three comes. Year number three goes, still nothing. I'm really, really bad at this. And at this point, I would imagine if you're like me, you'd be getting discouraged. Like three years and nothing to show from it. Should I just give up? Am I wasting my time? But now you're way too invested. You put way too much time into it, so you are just going to keep forging ahead. You keep watering. You keep, you know, just making sure the leaves stay off of it. You keep pulling up any weeds, hoping that it's not the Chinese bamboo you're pulling up, right? And, and year four comes. Year four goes. And at this point, you are straight ready to be done. And at this point, your spouse now has joined the bandwagon of, of kind of being a naysayer. She'll come out and she'll be like, so how's your imaginary garden going? Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful plot of dirt, sweetheart. You're doing such a good job. Hey, no, don't, don't, don't let me keep you. I'm going to go in the house and do some imaginary laundry. Yeah. And later tonight, I'll make you the best imaginary dinner you've ever had. All right, honey? Bye. And you're just going, oh, yeah, this is not my thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a gardener. I should just give up. Yeah, whatever. I'll just keep, I'll, might as well water it now. And you go home. Year five, year five comes, and all of a sudden, one day you go out to your garden, and there's a shoot sticking up out of the ground. What's going on here? And over the next six weeks, that little shoot grows into a 90-foot tree. Now you can show the picture. All right? This is Chinese bamboo, year five. In six weeks, it goes from zero to 90. Then your wife comes out. Her jaw hits the floor and you're like, told you, right? I knew it the whole time. I'm the man. And I look at this and I go, what a beautiful metaphor for some of the things that God has placed on our heart that in the moment we're in year one, two, three, four, and we don't see a whole lot of fruit. And man, is it easy to get discouraged. Is it easy for us to go, what is the point of continuing down this path because all I keep getting is dirt. It feels like everything I'm doing is pouring water onto, onto rocks. Nothing. Maybe I should just give up. And yet some of the things we learn from Chinese bamboo is that sometimes what is actually happening is beneath the surface. And we can't see it, but that doesn't mean that nothing is happening. Because it's not like this seed just laid in the ground and did nothing for four years. It started growing the moment it was planted. It was spending those four years putting down a foundation that could withstand and hold up a 90-foot bamboo tree. And in the same way, sometimes when we have felt called to do something and we begin today to do things, we, our thinking is, 
God, you're going to bring fruit about this today. And he's thinking, no, not so much. I'm going to bring fruit out of this in the right time. But I want you to start doing the work today so that you will be ready for it then. Don't grow weary today of doing the good I've called you to do because in the right time, I will bring about a harvest if you just don't give up in that middle part. And some of you have been praying for years for a loved one, for a spouse, for a friend, for a neighbor, praying ardently that they would come to know Jesus Christ, that they would come to have the hope that you have found. And it feels like you are simply throwing seed onto cement. It feels as if you are simply pouring water onto gravel. And man, if you are not weary right now. And the reminder for us is do not grow weary and lose heart. Because you have no idea how God may be working beneath the surface, how God may be even orchestrating circumstances, placing people in, in, in their lives. And I, I think of uh, Lee Strobel as an example. Lee Strobel was a guy who was an ardently against the gospel message. And his wife came to know Jesus, and she began to pray for her husband regularly. And he mocked her. He tore her apart. He was an investigative journalist. So he just, like, he was an intellectual and went, you have no idea how ridiculous you sound when you say those things. And in, I'm so con- convinced that you have no idea that I will go out and I'm going to use the vast giftings I have of investigative journalism to prove how Jesus could not possibly have risen from the dead and be who he claimed to be. And over the next year, Lee Strobel set out to disprove his wife's faith. And in the process, he brought himself to a point where one day God got a hold of his heart. And today, Lee Strobel is one of the most outspoken proponents of the gospel message. There's a book out there, and if you're a guest here this morning, I invite you to take one. It's called The Case for Faith written by a man who was ardently against the gospel message and set out to disprove his wife's faith. So don't grow weary and lose heart. Because at just the right time, God can bring about a harvest. There are some of you in here whom God has placed a dream on your heart. And it seems way bigger than you can handle. It seems way way out there too. It's like, how can I ever get there from here? And if you're honest, there are days where you just go, maybe I misheard him. You maybe have taken some steps and it feels like you're just not getting there. And you're tempted to just stop taking steps at all because it's just a lot easier um, not to take any steps than to try to take some steps and to be disappointed and to feel like you failed. And the message of Chinese bamboo, the message of Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, is do not grow weary because perhaps, just perhaps, the work you are doing, the small steps and the waiting period right now is doing more to prepare the soil of your heart for the fruit that will come. Because if that stalk began growing on day one, it would fall over rapidly. Imagine the work that needs to take place to build a foundation that can withstand a 90-foot stalk. Imagine what God might need to be doing in your hearts I know some of us are impatient. We want to be there now because, man, I have this vision to be doing this. And God's saying, great, but wait. 
Don't stop doing the good I've given you, but don't be impatient because I need to put down a foundation. I need to put down some roots. And the primary root that you need is you need to learn through a long obedience in the same direction how to wait on me. Whenever Nehemiah hit one of those bumps in the road, whenever he encountered opposition, whenever he, felt he grew weary, whenever the people that were working beside him were like, man, is this ever going to stop? Nehemiah kept going to his knees. Twelve times in the book of Nehemiah, when he hit a wall, he got onto his knees and he began to pray, God, give me the strength to get through this. God, give me the courage to face these naysayers. God, give me the strength not to return anger for their anger. God, give me wisdom to know how to lead. Give me the strength for today, and then tomorrow, give me the strength for tomorrow. I think some of us probably need that kind of strength. God, just give me the strength for today. Go to Nehemiah chapter 6 with me for just a moment. You know, for six chapters we read about Nehemiah and these people trying to rebuild the wall. And I I would imagine that they grew weary quite often. Nehemiah kept going to his knees because Nehemiah recognized long before Jesus ever said this that he needed to remain in the vine because without that, he couldn't do anything. As Jesus said in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, good luck. You can accomplish nothing. Nehemiah recognized that kept going to his knees, kept praying, kept asking God for strength and for wisdom. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, he comes to the end of this building project. This project that Sanballat and Tobiah laughed at him and said, you could never do this. These, These stones are in too much disrepair. A project that he felt, quite honestly, incapable of doing several times. He was tempted to give up. And yet we read in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, The wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Get that? Less than two months it took him to build it. Probably felt like an eternity. But it was only 52 days to take stones that had lain in rubble for 140 years because of choices that his ancestors had made. And a man who was simply willing to say, God, here I am. Help yourself to my life. What do you want me to do? You want me to go talk to the king? Could put my life on the line? Sure. As you wish. And he goes and he talks and he gets the okay and he goes and does it. And in the face of opposition, in the face of people saying, you can't do this, in the face of aching hands and thoughts of, this is too big for me, they persevered because they remained in the vine. And after 52 days, the walls were rebuilt. And national identity as the people of God was rekindled. Here's the point for this morning. Here's why I share this. It can be really easy one time a year for us to kind of take an assessment of our lives and go, how do I want to change? And typically we do that January 1, right? We typically start there and say, how do I want this year to be different? And then we go for about two or three weeks, we lose our momentum, and nothing really changes, and then January comes back up, and we find ourselves doing it over and over again, or some of us just go, what's the point? And we don't even try anymore. 
I just wanted to change it up a little bit this year. I wanted us to start considering the cumulative effect now as we lead into January. We're about 52 days away from the new year, give or take a couple of days. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to take the next 52 days, the next month and a half, and I'm going to give you the challenge, and I'm going to give you myself the same challenge. Here's the question. It's not rhetorical. I want you to consider it. You don't have to yell out your answer, but prayerfully consider this question. How would you like to see your life change over the next 52 days? Let me rephrase that. How would you like to see your life begin to change over the next 52 days? What seeds would you like to start planting in your life today that can begin to germinate and take root and bear fruit in your life? January 1, 2017. February 1st, 2017. 2018, 2019. What kind of fruit do you want to see? Okay, what kind of seeds do you need to start planting today? Let's not wait until January 1st to have this conversation. Here's a couple of ideas. Maybe you want to get your finances in order, right? And in a season where we typically add to our debt, what if you use the next couple of months to begin paying down your debt? And the gifts you gave were more affirmations and spending time with and memories as opposed to just things that you don't really need. Maybe you want to improve your your health. And so in a season where we tend to not really think a whole lot about what we eat and we put on a little bit, what if you were to use this next month and a half to say, I want to be intentional about how I choose to eat, what I choose to eat, and what I choose to do. Maybe you want to rebuild your relationship with God. And so over the next 52 days, you're going to redouble your, your commitment, saying, I'm going to set my alarm 15 minutes earlier. I'm going to set an alarm. 15 minutes before the kids actually wake me up. And I'm going to spend some time with God. I know this is easy to do, guys, but it's also really easy to just hit the snooze button. Maybe you want to work on developing a more grateful heart. Thanksgiving's coming up, right? So that's fitting. So rather than giving voice to the criticisms that you feel towards people, you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to give voice to the things I appreciate. I'm going to build up rather than tear down. Maybe you want to try to be more present with your family. You say, I'm going to take my phone, and when I come home, I'm going to put my phone down here. And if you're, if you're able to kind of get away with not having to have a phone, maybe even turn it off so you're not distracted by that. And I'm going to practice the art of being present, not just physically, but emotionally with my family. Or maybe it's your, your marriage you want to work on. You say, I'm just going to, I'm going to commit to praying with my spouse every day and even setting aside a couple hours each week to go on a date. That's what we are going to do. Those are the little seeds that we're going to start planting now and just see where we're at 52 days from now. Some of you are going, yeah, I like those. I'm doing all of those. Please don't. That is a wonderful way to start strong and totally burn out in the first week. Rather than choosing all of those or, or even any of them, choose one thing. Maybe one of those things, it may be something completely different. Just choose one for now. And I am asking you to consider, prayerfully consider, during this time when we go into a time of response, I'm going to invite the band to come up right now, and we're going to go into a time of response. During this time, I ask you to seriously consider the question, what is one thing you'd like to see change in your life?
And what are the seeds that you can start planting now so that 52 days from now, you'll be in a slightly different place or a radically different place. Now, here's, this is a three-part series, not a two-part series. We're only doing the first two parts now. And some 52 days later, January 1, will be the third part of the series. During that day, my hope is that many of you will actually participate in our discussion. My hope is that some of you will have actually taken this charge seriously, will have invested the next 52 days into planting some different seeds, and will give you an opportunity to share some of the fruit that has been born out of this time. I'm excited because this, this is one of those times we get to be interactive in this, really interactive. And, and so I'm just going to pray that God would give us the strength to, to honestly lay our lives down and say, God, what would you have me plant in this season? I'm also going to give you this encouragement, my last thought before I finish up. When you stumble, not if, when you stumble, when you, when you miss a day of praying with your wife, when you binge on something that you've been trying to say no to, when you make that impulse buy, do not grow weary. Do not give up. Don't throw in the towel and say, well, I screwed up. That's it. I have my out now. I'm a failure. Do what Nehemiah did. If you find yourself flat on your face, great. Then you're in perfect position to pray. God, give me the strength to keep going. Give me the strength to stand up right now and keep walking in the direction you've called me to go. As my my friend and mentor Pete McKenzie always says, don't question in the darkness what God has told you in the light. If he's telling you right now, do this. When you find yourself in the darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, and you don't think you can keep going, don't question what he said to you. Just ask him for the strength to keep walking. Do not grow weary of doing good. Because at just the right time, in God's timing, He will bring about a harvest if you simply do not give up. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that, you know, anything that we are going to accomplish will only be accomplished through you. You are the vine. We are branches that abide and remain and and, and find our sustenance, our direction, and our empowerment from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come upon us right now and you would begin to speak to each and every one of us and show us what you would like to do in our hearts over these next 52 days. Would you make it very clear the seeds that we need to begin planting? Would you also help us to recognize the seeds that we have been planting even if we haven't realized it? And if we need to stop planting some of those, would you give us the strength to do so? Our prayer, Father, is that this law of sowing and reaping, this cumulative effect, can work for us rather than against us. We want to be transformed by you so that we can be your ambassadors of hope in a world that is lacking so much hope right now. That we would reflect your heart. We would reflect your love we would reflect you in the spheres of influence that you have placed us. For your name's sake, Jesus, in your holy name, we pray this. Amen.